Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning again. Good morning, good morning. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. It's hour two on this Friday of Memorial Day weekend. Do you remember when Jesus restored the ability of the lame to walk? He did it on several occasions. A couple of the stories that we have um, recorded by the writers of the Gospels. We have um, one story recorded in John chapter 5 when Jesus goes up to Jerusalem to one of the Jewish festivals, and um, uh, he's teaching, um, and he makes his way through um, portions of the city, and he he finds himself at something called um, this pool, uh, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda. Uh, It's surrounded by five covered colonnades, which is to indicate to you how big it is, how many people were were there. And it says in John 5, a great number of disabled people used to lie there, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. And one of them had been an invalid for 38 years. Um, And he was just lying there. And he learned that, um, and Jesus learned that he'd had this condition for a long time. And so he says to the man, do you want to get well? And there's this conversation, right, that goes back and forth and... um. Jesus heals him. Jesus heals him. I mean, a man who'd been lying there um, for 38 years, and Jesus heals him. And, you know, take, take up your mat and go home. Like, you know, you know go live your life. There's another uh, healing of a paralytic in Luke chapter 5. You'll remember this story where um, Jesus is <clears throat> teaching He's a, in, a, in a house, and it's just packed full of people, um, you know, people pressing in through the windows. And um, these friends heard that Jesus was in town, and so they pick up their paralyzed friend who is, who is lying on a mat because um, he can't move. <clears throat> and they haul him to where Jesus is, but, you know, they can't get anywhere close to the door. And so they decide, you know what, we're going to go up on the roof, and we're going to we're going to break a hole in the roof and we're going to lower him down right in front of Jesus because we are determined to get our friend before the Lord. And so that's what they do. And it's, it's quite a scene, right? And they lower this man down on the mat through the hole that they made in the roof. And Jesus looks at him and sees his condition and says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Just imagine for a moment, you're one of the friends who brought the friend and you're like, dude, that's not why we brought him. But Jesus sees his condition, right? Jesus sees our real needs, sees our deep need. And, and then, you know, in order to prove that he has the power and the right to forgive sins, he also uh, heals the man. You know, which is, which is easier, he says, to, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Well, obviously, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Um, but to prove that he had that power, he also uh, said to the man, get up and walk. 
it just happened again. Like when we think about these miracles of Jesus, I want you to look around for places where it's happening again. Um, And so this was uh, a study just published on Wednesday. Um, a, A Dutchman is now able to walk again 12 years after a cycling accident left him paralyzed. Swiss scientists implanted devices um, into the man's brain and into his spine, and it allows him to send thoughts in the form of electrical impulses to his legs. So they have literally reconstructed um, a nervous system out of electrical impulses um, through a device implanted in the man's brain and in his spine. And so this man, who hasn't been able to walk for 12 years, can now stand unsupported um, uh, for several minutes on his own, and he can walk with assistance. But they uh, they totally anticipate he's going to be able to walk without assistance any day now. Um, and so when you um, think about how you want to celebrate the goodness of God and you want to give God all the glory for the wonderful things he has done, um, how about today we help people see uh, miracles taking place all around us, including the miracles that God is accomplishing through medicine and technology and scientific discovery. Get up and walk. And when you do, tell people how and why. All right, I was noting that there is a writer's strike underway, and it has uh, led to many shows being off the air or running reruns. Aren't you glad we write our own show? Adam Holtz is joining us next from Focus on the Family's Plugged In. Uh, He's not on strike either. We'll be right back here on Mornings with Carmen. Focus on the family's plugged in. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Carmen. How are you? I am well. Tell people the good news um, about uh, getting an AM radio in a new Ford vehicle. Well, if you are going to buy a new Ford radio, excuse me, a new Ford vehicle, you can still have your AM radio. And if you're like, (laughs) uh, wait, what are you talking about? So there is a movement afoot among car manufacturers to not include AM radio in their new vehicles and ostensibly, which is a great word because it means this is supposed to be the reason, but really it's not. Uh, Ostensibly, it's because AM radio frequencies interfere with uh, the growing number of electrical vehicles with the motors. And, you know, if you grew up with an ancient car like I did, sometimes when you would rev it up, you would get that high-pitched whine in the background. I suppose it's Something like that. And so like, oh, we can't do it. It's too expensive. It's too difficult. And I just want to say time out, right? You know, we have all of the knowledge in the world in the palm of our hand in a smartphone. And you can't figure out how to put an AM radio in an electric car. Give me a break. Uh, I'm going to call baloney on that. Well, the outcry was swift and fierce here. Uh, And interestingly, when Ford announced this a couple of weeks ago, I wrote an article about it on our blog. Uh, both political folks on the left and the right uh, raised up a hue and cry and actually started some conversation about making it a law that new vehicles had to have AM radio. Those on the right said, you know, that's where most talk radio is. And this is a, you know, a move that's going to cut conservative voices off. And those on the left said, for people who are impoverished, this may be their only form of sort of instant communication if there is something 
you know, public servicey or a storm or weather or those sorts of things that they need to know about. I'm like, well, it's good to know that the left and the right can still find common ground every now and then, even if it's for totally different reasons. So anyway, if you're going to go buy a new Ford Mustang or something, uh, you can still get AM radio. And so you can still listen to the farm report. You can still hear those conversations about pork bellies and Jimson weed and Cockleburr and Black Nightshade. Man, I miss the commercials from Iowa. I need me a good (laughs) Black Nightshade commercial every now and then. All right. You guys can send um, Adam Holtz uh, news and information from your AM feed uh, at (laughs) PluggedIn.com. Talk with us about movies for Memorial Day weekend. Movies for Memorial Day weekend. So we're talking about the ones coming out or just fun things to watch in general and or both. I don't know. It you know, it's a question. Answer it however you want. It's okay. a conversation, well, let's do the dude. Little... We're we're having coffee, you know, whatever you right? want. To talk right, right, right. No, right? I'm, I'm burning precious time clarifying the question. So Little Mermaid is out this weekend. And if Wait, 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 wait. Haven't haven't we already seen that movie? Yes, that's what I was going to say. It actually came out in 1989, the animated version, but it is the latest Disney live action remake. And Disney's been remaking and reimagining things. And depending on which one they do, it kind of can go either way. So this is a straight up remake. It's not uh, let's tell the same story in a completely different way. It's a beat for beat, dialogue for dialogue, reimagining or excuse me, remake of the movie uh in live action uh and we've talked a lot in the last couple of years about disney's movement in a we'll call it a woke direction for lack of a better shorthand and we're seeing a lot of stuff from disney that has obvious uh and even integral lgbt messaging i'm happy to say that almost without exception that's not present here now i say almost because they did go back and change the lyrics to a couple songs including Kiss the Girl, which has upset a lot of people because they said, you know, the way the song was originally written, it sounds like it's inviting guys to kiss girls without getting consent first. I'm like, okay, I know in the post-Me Too era, we have to be sensitive about these things. I think actually people are, are have enough uh, mental horsepower to sort that one out. But they, they tweaked those things. And if you're not paying attention, you're probably not even going to notice. And I'll also say that Sometimes when you translate an animated movie into live action, uh, interesting things happen. I think violence gets more intense. We saw that with Beauty and the Beast. We definitely saw it with the CGI Lion King remake. And this time around, you've got a mermaid, right? And mermaids tend to not wear very many clothes. And Ariel's outfit in the animated movie is actually pretty risque. I mean, she's got just a couple of shells up top. And this time around, you could make the argument that her top is more conservative, but you know, there's still quite a bit of tummy on display there. And some parents might say, yeah, that's more than I want my kids to see. But uh, honestly, that's about my only content criticism here. Uh, And there's magic too, of course. But um, those are the content things you should be concerned about. And my compatriot, Paul Acey, just wrote a fantastic blog called Sin, Salvation, and the Little Mermaid's Poor Unfortunate Souls, in which he basically says, Man, intentional or not, there are a ton of spiritual parallels between this story and, you know, the story of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. So he did a fantastic job on that blog, and I would commend that to you at PluggedIn.com. 
All right, again, um, check out the blog at PluggedIn.com on sin, salvation, and the Little Mermaid's poor, unfortunate souls. We're going to come back uh, with Adam Holtz in just a moment, and he's going to answer the question about whether or not white men can jump. Yes, um, again, you think you've seen that movie before, but maybe not this one. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. All right, we're talking with Adam Holes from Focus on the Families, Plugged In. Uh, uh, Adam, can white men jump? Oh, not really. I mean, uh, you know that Hollywood is totally bankrupt and, you know, it's a good thing they got this one done before the writer's strike. Actually, it's not a good thing. This is just another regurgitation of a movie that uh, really, who was clamoring for a white man can't jump remake? Nobody. That's exactly right. No. uh, Yeah. (laughs) And uh, it's got as much content as the original. So, I mean, it's and this one's streaming on Hulu, which is a service that perhaps fewer people have, although is Disney is, you know, a partial owner. So it's going to show up in their packages. But um, I think it's indicative of the fact that that Hollywood is averse to telling new and original and creative stories because they don't have that built in branding. So even though there is a remake of this, um, yeah, you can pass on this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So um, a couple of things that caught my attention, and I'd like for you to read us in on them. Um, a, a good person. Yeah. You know, A Good Person is a movie that came out a couple of months ago, and it is just now streaming. Um, and it is a movie. It's a hard movie. This is an R-rated movie um, about a woman who causes a car accident and then um, it just sort of destroys her life. Right. She looked down at her phone and she kills somebody. And Mm -hmm. and it really is a a movie that asks a question about redemption. Um, And when we make a horrible mistake, can we, can we come back from that? Uh, And so I think that it's a it's a movie that actually has some really great things to say, but it's also an R-rated movie, and so there's a, quite a bit of content here. And I think, um, you know, as Christians, I know a lot of people who would say, just on principle, I'm never going to see an R-rated movie. Uh, and I would just use this as an example to circle back and say, sometimes things are rated R because that grittiness is just pretty hard-hitting. Uh, And that is the case here. We get a lot of profanity. This has a lot of profanity. That's the biggest issue here. And I wish they had dialed it back. But I think that we can make a judgment call and say, you know what? The world is gritty. The world is difficult. Um, Let's, um, 
you know, we can think about whether we want to see stories that reflect that or not. And, and some people, I'm, I know I'm sort of just free associating with myself at this point. Some people don't want to see those sorts of stories. We want to see cleaned up aspirational stories because the world's messy enough. Others of us like those stories that are set in that sort of realm. So, um, and can I chime in on one other thing that's not even on our sort of pre-conversation yeah. list? Absolutely. So it's more. It's Memorial Day weekend. Um, I just want to toss two war movies out that are very different that that you might want to take a look. If you want a classic sort of feel good about America war movie, one of my favorite movies of all time, and we've probably talked about it before, is the original Midway from 1977. Mm. Um, do you remember that one? Did you see that one? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and it really has... Like every star in the history of Earth that was ever in a movie up to that point <laughs> is in that 1977 version. Um, the other one that you probably haven't heard of, and it's in the same category as the, la- uh, the last movie I was talking about, is The Last Full Measure, which is a movie that came out in 2019. It's an R-rated movie. It's based on a true story about a group of men who spend about 35 or 40 years trying to get a Medal of Honor award for a guy who rescued all of them in combat in Vietnam. Um, This is, again, it's another movie that has some content. It's an R-rated film, but it's a fantastic movie about these guys who basically owe their lives to the heroism of this other guy who died and never got, you know, recognized for it. So uh, Midway is, is classic summer blockbuster territory. The last full measure is gritty and realistic, but man, it's a powerful movie. So um, I'm sure you have a lot of influence over what's happening in the writer's strike. You have, you no, like, you know, yeah. So um, I have an idea for you. If you could share this with um, the people who are on strike as a way of um, maybe resolving the conflict. So I asked ChatGPT to um, write a script for Jimmy Kimmel Live, and it tried. Uh-huh. It made a couple of attempts, and I told it it was doing a very bad job. And it apologized, and it said, while AI can be a useful aid, the imagination, intuition, and emotional depth of human writers are irreplaceable and continue to be the driving force behind the success of the entertainment industry. And then I said, well, you you haven't written an opening monologue. And then, then it tried to write an opening monologue for the script of Jimmy Kimmel Live, and then it admitted, I'm not good at this. This requires humor, a knowledge of current events that I don't have, pop culture, which I don't understand, and making fun of yourself, which I'm prohibited from doing. Huh. I just feel like Jimmy Kimmel should just, like, read that, and then they should, like, submit it to whoever it is that's deciding that writers should, you know, get paid more. I don't know. There you go. That's my two cents. So... I think that's a great idea. Can I circle back to one other thing I was talking about? Because I was frantically trying to look up the cast list from Midway. Can I read that (laughs) off to you? Absolutely. Go right ahead. So remember I said everybody's in this? I mean, literally, I'm not sure there's a movie that has more big, well, male stars. There aren't. It's a little short on on female stars, like completely. But we have Charlton Heston, Henry Fonda, James Coburn, Glenn Ford, Hal Holbrook, Robert Mitchum, Cliff Robertson, Robert Wagner, Eric Estrada, you know, 
we get a sort of really? chips preview in there. I mean, everybody and their dog who was a dude and still alive in 1976 is in this movie. I guess John Wayne's not in it, but he was very close to not being with us anymore at that point. So anyway, and also if you're listening, you're like, this feels like Star Wars. Uh, John mm. Williams did the script for it. And there are scenes that if you listen closely, you can hear parallels to what John Williams does in Star Wars. So that's your midway fun fact for the day. All right. Good movies for Memorial Day weekend. As always, Adam Holtz, thank you so much for joining us. I want to direct your attention to everything that's going on at PluggedIn.com. But in particular, read the blog um, this week. Yes. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We're writing our own content. We'll be right back. Let's get some sun outside. Let's have some fun. All righty, it's time for the Friday Farm Report. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is the Faith Radio Network. And, uh, you know, it's Friday. So it's time to report in. We have here on the LeBurge Farm done the last picking of the strawberry patch. Um, However, during the last picking of the strawberry patch, uh, a very big snake was discovered. He was stuck in the netting. He was like a five and a half foot king snake. That's a big snake. And so his body was too big to wind its way through the netting. And so I don't know if you've ever had a snake caught in a net. Not like caught in a net like, oh, you know, he's just like in the net. No, no. He's like in the netting. So Jim um, set about freeing him. <clears throat> and it, just to say this, it's hard to hold down the head of a five and a half foot snake while with the other hand, you are trying to uh, cut away the netting in which he has, you know, lodged himself. It was a great struggle uh, for both man and beast. But uh, in the end, the giant snake was successfully freed and, you know, uh, back uh, returning to his duties of rodent patrol. Um, yeah, I, I haven't seen him. I don't want to see him, but now I know he's out there. <clears throat> so that's going on. The little red hen has survived another week uh, on her own, living as a, you know, single lady uh, because, you know, she got rejected by the flock. Anyway, she's living in the brown playhouse slash doghouse in the orchard, and she survived another week, and she appears very happy, and she's become very social. Like, you open the gate, and she comes running. It's hilarious. All right. Um, in sad chicken news, Barbara who was the last of our original hens, so we've had her for years. She died of old age this week. Yeah, just sitting there and, you know, went to sleep and didn't wake up. Um, In happy chicken news, the eight little sapphire gym chicks are now getting quite big and just about ready to be integrated into the big coop with the older flock. So that's going on. Otherwise, we're weeding, mowing, trimming, training, and eating the first of our blueberries from our blueberry patch. So that's exciting. We're also uh, probably cultivating the very last of our early lettuce because it's getting hot here and, you know, that lettuce is about to bolt. What's going on in your neck of the woods? Are you tilling the soil where you are? Are you cultivating the conversations of the day? Are you growing in righteousness? Are you producing good fruit? What's your Friday farm report in your own life? We are going to talk next with Taylor Turkington, author of Trembling Faith, How a Distressed Prophet Named Habakkuk. Now, this is going to kind of be kind of fun. Is it Habakkuk or Habakkuk? 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How a distressed prophet helps us trust God in a chaotic world. Hey, if you're like me, there's just definitely sometimes that you are tempted to stick your head in the sand and ignore what's happening in the world. But what if we were like Habakkuk and instead we raised our prayers to a faithful God? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Really thrilled to have joining us today, Taylor Turkington. She's joining us as the author of a new book, Trembling Faith, How a Distressed Prophet Helps Us Trust God in a Chaotic World. We're also going to talk about her ministry at BibleEquipping.org. Taylor, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Oh, thanks for having me, Carmen. Glad to be here. All right. How would your, how would your best friend describe you to us? Oh, I think that recently she has described me as loyal and nerdy. So mm. I think that's kind of where I'm at right now. <laughs> okay, I like that. I like that. Loyal and nerdy. Um, talk with us about Trembling Faith. First of all, I, I love the title. Um, we're going to talk about Habakkuk here in just a minute. But why Trembling Faith? You know, Trembling Faith is really, I think, what Habakkuk is all about. This idea of faith in the midst of hardship and suffering, even when we tremble. And that the idea is that grief and wrestling and anger can actually go along with faith. You know, a lot of people might know Old Testament characters like David, or they might know, they might even know Amos or Hosea, but Habakkuk is, you know, kind I mean, small, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Big, Three big chapters. Life. Yeah. Big life, yeah. big faith. Maybe let's just do like, why Habakkuk? Well, for me personally, God has comforted me in the book of Habakkuk many times. I can look, draw you a timeline of my life and there will be multiple times when it would be a dot on it when it said Taylor ended up in Habakkuk in high school, in a hospital bed, um, when I was living overseas and trying to consider, God, what am I doing here? When leaders were misusing power, I've ended up in the book of Habakkuk over and over again. And I think that there's a message for us about how we keep going even when the world is broken and chaotic and how we speak to God when we're angry and hurting, and he shows us a way to live. Okay, well, the world is broken and chaotic, and yes, we are it hurting, is. and sometimes we feel like our, our prayers fall um, fall flat, or the, or the ways of God and the timing of God doesn't align with the desires of our hearts. Like, that's the reality Habakkuk lives in. So for people who might be completely unfamiliar with Habakkuk, can you just kind of give us a summary of, of, the, of the book of Habakkuk? Yeah, definitely. So in the book of Habakkuk, he is living in a time when just what you said, things are broken and there's injustice. It's not that far from our time. He's living under an evil king, Jehoiakim, who's using his power to gain wealth and power, and he's betraying his allegiance to a foreign power. And all of these things are just terrible. And Habakkuk cries out to the Lord about it and says, God, what are you doing? How long until you do something? And in this, we see this honesty that if we didn't know it was in the Bible, might feel a little shocked to us as he's almost accusing God of not acting, of not seeing. And in that, there's this prayer conversation back and forth between God and Habakkuk. And God responds that he is working, that he's actually going to bring discipline on his people. Things are going to get worse before they get better. 
but that he tells Habakkuk there's a way through and the way through is to live by faith. That's the core of the book in Habakkuk 2.4. As we keep going through the book, it's as if Habakkuk is on a journey of faith and God reminds him that he is a just God in this song of the second half of chapter two. He talks about this idea that God will hold the people who are evil accountable. And it's as if it's comfort for Habakkuk to know that even when things are hard, that there's still a just God reigning. And finally, the last chapter, Habakkuk writes a song for us. It's a song to sing when we don't get what we asked for in prayer, but reminding us of God's power and his ability to save his people and his cosmic plan from the beginning to the end to always work for his people and to bring us to salvation. And that even when we lose things and we tremble, that he is still with us and he's worth more than anything we could lose. I love that. I love that you highlight the song of Habakkuk in um, in Habakkuk 3. I think that for people who imagine that they've reached the stage of their life of prayer or the challenges, struggles, struggles of life, that, you know what, I can't sing, and I cer- certainly can't sing to God. But singing in prayer and prayerfulness um, is a rhythm of uh, particularly the Old Testament. I mean, we see it in the New Testament, but I think that if we think about the way we utilize the Psalms and consider it the prayer book of the Second Temple period, like we've been a people of singing faith a long time. That's right, Carmen. We have been. And sometimes when we are struggling in faith, we need not another sermon or even another thing to for us to be reading, but we need to put words in our own mouth. And that's what songs often do for us. These songs help us speak the faith that we need to believe. And these are corporate songs, right? So we also have other people singing them alongside of us. And it's as if the faith of our brothers and sisters helps us along as we sing them. Mm. So good. So good. All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Taylor Turkington here in just a moment. The book is Trembling Faith, How a Distressed Prophet Helps Us Trust God in a Chaotic World. Are you having a hard time trusting God in the midst of the brokenness and the challenges that you face in your own life or the um, the chaos of the world today? Um, walk with Taylor through the book of Habakkuk and be encouraged. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. When we talk about the walk of faith or walking by faith or taking each step of life with the good shepherd, we imagine ourselves as sheep walking with him. Or maybe we see ourselves in the disciples with Jesus walking from town to town throughout the land we call holy. Every Christian wants to walk where Jesus walked, but not everyone's going to get to go to Israel. So if you want to see the holy land the way it might have looked through the eyes of Jesus, take a journey with Max Lucado. We're giving away a copy of his new book, In the Footsteps of the Savior, every day in May. Thanks to Thomas Nelson Publishing, you can walk in the footsteps of Jesus. You can enter to win on the Faith Radio app or at MyFaithRadio.com. It's the Every Day in May giveaway, so enter today at MyFaithRadio.com. Continuing our conversation now with Taylor Turkington, you can um, connect with her online um, and on Twitter. You can also check out what she's doing at BibleEquipping.org. Taylor, before we circle back around and continue our conversation about your book, Trembling Faith, what are you doing at BibleEquipping.org and why are you doing it? 
Oh, thanks for asking. Yeah, you know, Bible equipping is all about equipping women to study and teach the Bible, that we really want to zero in in the local churches of how to support women thinking well about the Bible, that it's not just something for pastors or others to think well about. And so we have events across the country and around the world at times about how do we think well and use interpretation questions in a healthy manner? How do we think about this large story of the Bible and how do we teach it to other people? We have Bible teacher cohorts that run every term where we really think through how do we communicate the scriptures well to other others? And if we have a microphone, how do we write these messages to be able to speak to other people? That's so cool. All right. So you can um, check that out. Uh, you can check out not only what they're doing, but um, you know where there might be an event near you at BibleEquipping.org. Um, Bible literacy or biblical literacy is one of your passions. So why don't we talk about um, that as a part of this conversation as well? I mean, obviously, you're helping us really get to know Habakkuk in Trembling Faith, but part of that is your passion for people to have the Word of God knit into their hearts. That's right, Carmen. And sometimes when we talk about Bible literacy, it feels like I'm just asking you to do another chore. It's like, oh, study the Bible and ho hopefully your life will get better. I I've heard people talk about it as if it's some sort of good luck charm. But biblical literacy isn't like that. And it's not meant to be another chore for us, but rather even when we are tired and broken and struggling. There's a framework of what is true and what, is, what we need to be reminded of again and again that we get when we study the scriptures. So when a leader who's supposed to be mirroring the character of God is selfish or controlling or insulting, we can say, that's not what God is like. I know the scriptures. When decisions are made by others that mean your life gets a whole lot harder, we can say, God is for me, even if this doesn't appear to be for me. And then I know that the Lord cares about me and that he's a God who works towards my salvation. That we can say, you've worked in the past and you will work again, just like Habakkuk did in his song in chapter three, as he points back to the way that God saved his people in Egypt. And we point back to the way he saved us in Jesus. And we can know that even in masses, massive instability in our lives, that God is still the one who cares and is working for us, that Christ lived, died, and rose again for me, so I'm united to him. Biblical literacy isn't just about so that we know enough so that Bible study, we don't look dumb, or we can actually have the right answers when we're talking with people, but rather so that we have a solid ground under our feet to be able to walk with the God of the universe. Let's talk a little bit about even though prayers. Um, because I feel like, you know, Habakkuk is, you know, he's an even though prayer kind of guy. Mm -hmm. If I've got a friend who's really struggling right now, particularly struggling to pray. Yes. Can, can you help her have an even though approach to prayer? Yeah, I think sometimes we, things are hard. We turn away from God instead of towards him. And even in this culture, we see that around us, people speaking about God when they're upset rather than to him. And it's not wrong to speak to other people about God, but we need to be going to him as well. And Habakkuk offers us a model for that. We see in the beginning him complaining, rightfully, like we call it a complaint, literally is a literary style in this beginning as he's saying, God, where are you? I see this justice surrounding like a wolf pack. Where are you? What are you doing? And then even as God reveals a little bit about what he is doing, then Habakkuk protests. He says, God, you are holy. You are my rock. And yet still, this does not seem right. And what the Bible is inviting us to do is to really bring all of our emotions and how we're feeling to God. It opens the doors. And so the first thing I would say to her is be honest with God. That's exactly what God says that he calls for us to do. 
And the next thing to know is that God is working even when we don't see it. So sometimes our prayers are what feels like they're going out and nothing is being responded to, that we have nothing to show for how we're praying. But we believe from the Bible that God is working even when we don't see it. So that's the second thing, that even as we pray, we know that God is working beyond our understanding. And the third thing is that we need to remember who God is and what he's given us. The very end of chapter three of Habakkuk reminds us of this as he walks through some of the most terrible things that could possibly happen, utter destruction. He says in verse 17, though the fig tree doesn't bud and there's no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there's no herds in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. It's as if Habakkuk is saying, I might lose everything. There, there might be nothing left that offers me comfort or stability, but I'm still going to choose joy. I'm going to celebrate. And that sounds a little naive and crazy to us. And it's not stoicism here. If we just looked a verse up, he's talking about trembling and, and having real fear and real panic and real trauma. And, and those things are very real. But what it's saying is that in the midst of grief and loss, that joy and faith can intermingle. These are not exclusive things. So instead of saying, what if things get worse? What if it keeps going downhill? Instead, we say, even if, even then, I will still have the Lord. And he is better than everything I could lose. That what he has done for me means that I can go on and on, even when it looks really dark. So there may be a person listening right now who's saying, well, you know what? Taylor can say all that because she, you know, her whole life is filled with sunshine and puppies. Um, <laughs> talk with us about, um, I don't know, maybe back when you were in seminary and you thought you just had a pulled muscle, but that's not what was going on. Because I think that that story, um, at least in, in my reading of it, like that helps me understand that you, you know the land of Habakkuk in terms of a life of prayer. Yeah. So I was in seminary, like you said, and I thought I had a pulled muscle. I was trying to figure out what was going on because I hadn't been doing anything athletic recently. I was studying for my <laughs> comp exams to finish my, my graduate degree. And so I wasn't working out. And so I went to another doctor and another, and they kept just sending me home. Finally, my leg turned purple and it got to the point that I couldn't walk. I went to the ER again and there the doctor tried to send us home again. But finally, my friend who was there with me wouldn't let us go home until they ran tests. And so we just kind of did a sit in and they ran the tests. And it turns out I had a huge blood clot that started just above my knee, went up through my hip and into my abdomen. And over the next few days of really crazy things, trying to figure out what how to do this, finding experimental surgeries to remove the clot and save my leg and a lot of pain and a lot of really wrestling. And, and in the midst of all this pain, it wasn't that I was scared that I might not live, but the biggest thing for me was that my plans were slipping through my fingers. In that moment, realizing as the doctors are saying, Taylor, you cannot live away from a hospital, Western hospital, um, for the next several years, perhaps your life. You're going to be on blood thinners that are going to change the way that you do things. You're going to have tests and you are going to, it's going to change your plans for kids and for family and for ministry. I was planning to move overseas soon after that as a missionary. And all of these plans kind of tumbled down as I remember coming out of that hospital in a wheelchair and praying, God, what are you doing? My fiery prayer sounded a lot like Habakkuk. Um, and though there was pain and struggle, the biggest thing was, God, I don't know what's happening now. 
how are things going to go forward? And that's just one of the times I, I can tell you a handful of other times I've ended up in the ICU with other long-term chronic health issues that I have. But in the midst of these things, it has reminded me that I can bring it all to the Lord and that though I might lose all the things that make life stable, God has not abandoned me. And he is the one who works for me and loves me and has saved me because of his work in Jesus. And one day he is going to make all things right. And we are not there yet. And I love that he's he's given you a global ministry right from where you are. Right. Like, I love that. Isn't that so kind right? of him? It's so kind. All right. So um, journey with Taylor um, through into and through the book of Habakkuk and have really your prayer life transformed. It's an it's a very engaging and invitational um, experience. It's called Trembling Faith, How a Distressed Prophet Helps Us Trust God in a Chaotic World. Um, Taylor, I also know that you are talking with authors from around the world about um, the book of Zephaniah. You want to give us any kind of uh, window into into that? Oh, I am pretty excited about Zephaniah. I'm working on a commentary for the Hotter Bible Commentary series that's coming out of the UK. And so I am excited to, to think more and to speak more in the future about how Zephaniah really applies to our lives as well. I love that. I love that you are bringing forward um, some characters of Scripture with whom we might not be terribly familiar or we might have read it once or heard one verse. Um, thank you for helping us be biblically literate about these things and really um, moving into and through these books in a way that helps us um, not only know what they were um, dealing with in their day, but how, uh, you know, how their witness and testimony impacts uh, our own experience as we walk with God today. It's a, it's a real gift. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks so much, Carmen. It's a joy to get to talk about these things. The scriptures have so much depth for us all the way through. And then Amen. many times we read these books and we need some help and that's okay too, to have other people help us read them. Oh, totally. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. Taylor Turkington, you're going to want to connect with her. I recommend BibleEquipping.org. The book is Trembling Faith, How a Distressed Prophet Helps Us Trust God in a Chaotic World. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. So on this Memorial Day weekend, I want to encourage you to remember. And I want you to encourage you to um, consider what's worth remembering and the things that maybe ought to be forgotten. There are things that our past and should be left in the past. And then there are things in the past that should always be brought forward to the present because they inform and um, instruct and guide and guide us in the days in which we are now living. And so um, when God talks in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments about remembering and remembrance and setting up uh, stones of remembrance and memorials, um, if you have the opportunity to visit one of our veteran cemeteries across the country during this Memorial Day weekend, I want you to consider those stones of remembrance. As you walk among um, the gravestones of those who have paid the ultimate uh, price for the freedoms that we enjoy, I want you to consider the reality of sacrifice, blood sacrifice, 
I want you to consider Jesus. And then as you are celebrating this Memorial Day weekend with others, and you have all of this in mind, consider how Christ could be made made known among those with whom you fellowship in the breaking of the bread. Because the Lord's Supper is given to us as a memorial. Do this in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, do this in remembrance of me. So on this Memorial Day weekend, spend some time remembering. Spend some time remembering those who have gone before you in the faith, whose faith lays the groundwork for your own. Spend some time remembering the wonderful acts of God throughout the course of human history. Most importantly, the act of Christ upon the cross. And remember those who have paid for our freedoms with their blood. Have a- Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.